Judges chapter number 7. I'm going to begin in verse number 1. It says, Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, rose early and encamped beside the well of Harad, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go with you. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as the dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Today we are beginning a new series called This Is Us. And it's a message series about what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be an ambassador and representative of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a look at what our lives should look like once we are touched by God's grace and embrace Jesus as our Savior. I believe it's a clarion call from our Creator to not just talk the talk, but to walk the walk. I also believe it's a teaching on what it means to let your light shine and what are some of the disciplines that should be characteristic of the life of those of you, those of us who claim Jesus as our Savior, it is also a call to correct the concept of Christianity that most buy into, and that is a consumer-based Christianity rather than a contributor-based Christianity. And so I want to talk to you today about this message that I'm calling, Don't Bury Your Head in It. And it's a message on what it means to live and the selfless life that God has called each and every one of us to. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you speak to us? Would you make this message clear and relevant and real to every single person? We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. I want to begin this sermon in a similar way to how I I saw Craig Rochelle begin a sermon about a year ago uh, at his church. Um, And if you don't know who Craig Rochelle is, he pastors the largest multi-site church in America. I believe they have something like hundreds of thousands who attend their campuses. And so um, it's good to glean from people like that. But today I'm going to begin the service by straight straight up ripping them off, okay? So this is pilfered. This is plagiarized. Don't write me no notes saying I heard somebody else say that. This This is coming from Craig Rochelle. And he began the sermon. He asked this question, very important question, very telling question. When you go on a plane, how many people have to have the window seat? Can I see your hand? You're a window seat person. Raise it nice and high so I can know that you're participating. Window seat people. How many, how many people you have to have the aisle seat? Aisle seat people on the plane. Not as many as the window seat people, but but enough. And how many of you love that middle seat on the plane? Anybody like the middle seat sadistic people out there? People who love being squished, you know, people who want to experience hell up in the air, you know, that, that's middle seat people. Anyway, I wanted to get that out of the way, but, but he referenced this article, and this article uh, said science shows us 
that we are selfish. Science shows. Did y'all need science to, to show you that you're selfish, right? I just, just look around, look at people. You know that people are generally selfish. We live in a self-centered, selfish culture. And in the article, it specifically said that men are more selfish than women. Can I get a good amen from all the ladies, right? Men are, look at the ladies. They're, they're always proud to put the men down, right? If you say something as a man in church about the women, the men will sit there like this. They were like, nah, Pastor, I ain't getting in trouble by laughing about that. There's no way, right? But the women would be like, yeah, that's right, that's right. Anyway, in the article, the article said that, that men are more selfish than, than women. And, and the way that the argument went in the article is that the male neurosystem gets more stimulated by self-centeredness, whereas the women are more likely to get a dopamine rush by helping other people. And the argument is that men are, are built to survive, wired to survive, and women are wired to be nurturers. And so the study also showed, by the way, ladies, that, that guys who are in good shape are more self-centered than guys who are not in good shape. Right, and, and so what that means is that the guys that drive right past the gym to the pizza parlor and they get this like th- those those guys are are less self centered than the guys who spend all their time at the gym. And so here's the takeaway, ladies: the takeaway is don't marry a guy who's got muscles. Marry a guy who's got a big belly and likes pizza and loves window seats, and he will treat you better. Okay, and so that's just just a little free, you know. Anyway, we live in a, in a self centered world, don't we? And, and I want to talk to you about this whole self-centered thing and how it relates to us as, a, as, as Christians. And normally when we talk about the word selfless, the definition that we put on selfless is putting the needs of other people before your own. And that's a good definition of what it means to be selfless, but I don't believe it's a biblical definition of what it means to be selfless because there are people who don't even know Jesus that would qualify as being selfless in that way. But I believe as Christians, our selflessness gets elevated to a new standard, and that standard is not putting the interests of other people above your own, but putting the interests of God above your own. God's interests above your own interest. And when you put God's interest above your own interest, what happens is, of course, people are included in that, right? We, we know that, that people are kind of like God's thing, right? God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God sent Jesus for the whole world. Jesus is all about people. And so naturally, when we put the interest of God above our own interest, that people are going to be included in that. But it goes much, much deeper than that. It goes to a to, to a whole nother level where it encompasses more than just the feelings of people and the needs of people, but it becomes about what God is interested in doing through you to touch the lives of other people. And this is kind of where Gideon comes in. Gideon lived during a time when Israel was in one of their repetitive cycles. Anybody ever get stuck in a repetitive cycle? Right, we we kind of tend to go around the same mountains all the time in life. Some some limps we walk with for the rest of our life. And Israel was in a repetitive cycle, and their repetitive cycle would be something like this: that they would rebel against God, and then they would suffer the consequences of the rebel, rebellion. God would call them to repentance; they would repent, and then revival would break out in the land. And they were on their fifth such cycle of rebellion, and then revival. God was calling them back. God was raising up a judge, a leader, to to rescue 
rescue them from Midianite bondage. They were enslaved to this group of people known as the Midianites. And the Midianites were some bad people. They were, they were really, really horrible. They would wait for Israel to begin to harvest their crops. And then right at harvest time, they would swoop in there. They would steal all of the food. If you tried to stop them, they would murder you. They'd rape the women. They'd kill the children. They'd take all the food for themselves. And so you'd be left there. You'd be starving and you'd be scavenging to try to, to, try to get some food. And, and Gideon is living during this time when he is literally just trying to get food for himself and his family. He's just trying to put food on the table. And so when we find him, we find him hiding behind the wine press. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. It's before our text. It says, And the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the terebith tree, which was in Oprah, which belongs to Joash the Abazarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. Normally you would thresh wheat someplace that was, was elevated or high so that way when you threw up all of, you know, the whole wheat and everything like that, the, the chaff would be swept away by the wind and, and the real wheat would fall to the ground. But you couldn't do that back in this time because if they threw it up in the air, the Midianites would see that there was food there. They'd come in, they'd steal it, and he would have no food again. So what was Gideon doing? He was hiding behind a wine press. He was threshing the wheat there instead of where you would normally thresh the wheat. And so Gideon's plight is, 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 is very, very much like sometimes we can feel where you go through life and, and you're just trying to make it. You, you're just trying to put food on the table. You're just trying to take care of you and yours. You're trying to get a roof over your head. You're trying to get clothes on everybody's back. You're trying to, you know, make sure that the kids have what they need and, 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 and the family has what it needs. And you're trying to balance all that with sports and school and social clubs and vacations and friends and hobbies and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of like every man for himself. And it's almost like that kind of behavior is kind of accepted in society and not only is it accepted in society but it's kind of celebrated in society you know yeah you're working hard to take care of you and yours and and, and what happens is that's kind of what Gideon is doing right now it's every man for himself and it's into this self-preservation self-interest self absorbed environment that God taps Gideon on the shoulder and he says I want to use your life Judges chapter 6, verse number 14. The Lord turned to him and he said, Go in this might of yours and you will save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Gideon, I want you to take for just a moment your eyes off of everything that's going on in your life. I want you to take your eyes for a moment off of you trying to put food on your table. I want, to, I want you to get, take your eyes for a moment off you trying to provide for your family. And, and I want you to get interested in what interests me. And, and if you're Gideon, you're like, come on, seriously, God? Something else right now on the table. Don't you see everything that's going on? Don't you see how hard life is? Let me modernize it. God, you want me to serve in church when I've got all these other pulls in my life? God, God, you want me to give to your work when I've got all these bills in my life? God, you want me to minister to somebody else, God, when, when I need somebody to minister to me? God, are you kidding me? You really want me to do something else? God's like, yeah, I, I really do. I really want you to just put all that on the back burner for a minute. And I want you to put what interests me out in front. And it's almost as if God is being insensitive and not understanding Gideon's plight. If you look at it from a natural eye. But if you know God and you understand God, you understand that God was not not caring about Gideon. God was trying to set Gideon up 
for the blessed life, right? Because here's how you live the blessed life. It's the first point on your outline. The selfless life is a setup for the blessed life. It's interesting to me that God speaks to Gideon just 16 miles from Jericho in the city of Oprah. Oprah was 16 miles from Jericho. Remember what Jericho was? Jericho was the first city in the promised land. It was the first city that God gave them after they decided to come back to God. And could it be that the proximity in which God speaks to Gideon about this promise has everything to do with the fact that God wanted to pull Gideon out of the struggling situation he was in, but that the key to getting out of his struggle was to live a self life because the selfless life is a setup to the blessed life. Let me give you a couple of scriptures to just, to just show you this. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, we all know this scripture. I don't know that we really kind of get the scripture, although we know the scripture. It says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And for whatever reason, we seem to be blinded by the first portion of the verse, but excited about the next, the last portion of the verse. We get excited about all the things being added on to us, but we don't realize that this is a conditional promise based on you and I putting what interests God above our own interest. God says, if you, if you get interested in what I'm interested in, then I'll get interested in what you're interested in. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life, not will find it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, notice what God is saying here. Again, God is saying that if, if, if you live a selfless life, you're going to find a rewarding life. Whereas if you live a self-absorbed life, you'll find an unfulfilling life. So God is saying trade in the unfulfillment for a life of fulfillment. And the key to that is to, is to lose your life, what interests you, for what interests me, and then things will work out in your benefit. Proverbs chapter 17, chapter 19, verse 17. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay what he has given. Notice what God is saying. If you'll be interested in what I'm interested in, I'm interested in helping people out who can't help themselves. If you'll get interested in that, I'll be indebted to you. I'll make sure that you're taken care of. I'll repay you. I'll make sure that your needs are being met. And the greatest example in all the Bible of the selfless life being a setup for the blessed life is Solomon. Right? Remember God comes to Solomon. He says, Solomon, whatever you want, ask me and I'll give it to you. And kind of like, here's our takeaway in our natural mind. We're like, yeah, God, that's cool, man. The genie in the lamp thing. God just, you know, he rubs the genie and God just shows up. What can I do? How can I serve you? You have three wishes. And the funny thing about it is God has said the same thing to us, hasn't he? He said, whatsoever, Jesus said, whatsoever you ask the Father in my, in my name, he'll give it to you that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And usually when we hear those promises, we get so excited, don't we? And here's how most of us respond to those. God, big house. Nothing wrong with a big house. By the way, I have a big house. God, nice car. Nothing wrong with a nice car. I have a nice car. Okay? That's not my point, right? God, God, six-figure income. And not low six figures because if you have a family today, six figures, you're just barely getting by. God, I need you to escalate those six figures here. God, matter of fact, I want to win the $1.6 billion mega box, mega ball, mega whatever the thing is called, mega millions. By the way, don't waste your time on that. I've already got the winning ticket. It's in my possession right now. And by the way, if you do win, God help you if you don't tithe. And seriously, if you win and all you do is tithe, your money is cursed. 
Because if you win that much money, man, you just better pony up. You know what I mean? Just, just throw some coin on the table. So I was like, yeah, if I had that much, I would. But here's my, here's my statement to that. If you don't put God first in the little you have now, what makes you think you're going to put God first in the much that he gives you later? I hear people say, well, if I had it, you know, I'd put God first. No, you wouldn't. If, it's harder to write checks when they get bigger. I remember the first time I wrote an $8,000 check. I think I was 20. When did Lisa and I get engaged? How old was I? Was I 20? You should remember that. That was the day the best thing that happened to your daughter walked into our life. <laughs> It's my mother-in-law. I don't know. I was like 20. We, we got engaged. We had an engagement party. You know, we got all sorts of money for our engagement party. And, and I remember, you know, uh, it was a lot of money because we, we decided to write an $8,000 check off of what we got for the engagement party, you know. And, and it wasn't just a tithe. It was a tithe and then some. And I, I remember writing that $8,000 check, man, I, my hand got like rigor mortis all of a sudden. It was like it, could, it couldn't write no more, you know, like that. And, and you know, I, I, I got that, that thing out, and I was, like, shocked. I was like, That's, there goes eight grand right there in the bucket, right? You couldn't give on apps or anything like that. You put it in the bucket, and it's harder when you put it in the bucket because you could go chase it down. And you're like, I made a mistake. I'm not even going to can I get that back, right? But when you give online, it comes right out of your account. And, and I remember it, it, it's not easy to write big checks, you got to be faithful in a little in order for God to make you ruler over much. And so God comes to Solomon and he says to Solomon, he says, listen, whatever it is that you want, go ahead and ask and I'll give it to you. And notice the conversation. Second Chronicles chapter 1 verse 11. God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart and you have not asked riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor, shall you have, nor have you asked long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Stop. Notice what Solomon did. He said, God, what's really of interest to me here is not what interests me for me, but what I can do to serve the cause that you've placed me on the earth to do. God, what, what I need right now more than anything else, I'd like to have money. I, I'd like to have nice things. I'd like to live a long life. But above all that, God, what I want to do is I want to make my time here count. God, I want to do while I'm here on earth what you want me to do. And so what I need you to do is I need you to give me the wisdom in order to carry out the assignment. It's amazing that that was the first thing on his heart. And so here's what God says. God says to him, uh, wisdom and knowledge are granted you, done. And he says, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any after you have the like. In other words, God said, because what interests me interested you, that I'm going to give you everything that everybody wants anyway. Notice what God is saying. He's saying that the selfless life is the key to the blessed life. And see, we've got this whole thing screwed up. We have become people who seek after the blessed life instead of seeking after the selfless life and as a result of being selfless God moves us into without us even trying the blessed life notice God didn't think there was anything wrong with him having riches and honor he made him the richest man that's ever lived because his heart was in the right place 
See, God, when, when your heart is in the right place, when you live for what interests God, God says, okay, now you are a vehicle that I can follow all sorts of stuff through. And that's why it's so important to be faithful with whatever God gives you in whatever amount God gives you, whether it's money, whether it's resources, time, talent, a family. If you're faithful in those little things, then God knows that he can give you more to manage because you don't see yourself as the owner of those things, but rather you see yourself as the steward of those things, using those things not to glorify yourself or build your own kingdom, but to glorify God and build his kingdom. The selfless life is the key to the blessed life. But number two, just like the selfless life is a setup to the blessed life, number two, the selfish life is an open door to the depressed life. The selfish life is an open door to the depressed life. When God calls Gideon to lead his army, Gideon is consumed with his circumstances. He's stressed out by his struggles. He's trying to figure out how to put food on his table, how to feed his family, how to make it through another day. And although we don't normally associate being consumed with our circumstances or pressed by our problems as selfish, when our whole lives revolve around seeking solutions to only our struggles like nobody else has struggles, that is selfish. Let me, let me not talk about you so you can hear this. Because if I talk about you, you'll, you'll tune it out. Let me talk about somebody you know right now, okay? Somebody you know right now. Ever get around that person where every conversation that you have eventually goes back to whatever it is that they're going through? Right? You could be talking about, you know, whatever. Talking about the Cowboys beating the Redskins this week. And they'll be like, and talking about getting beat up. I'm getting beat up by life. Right? Everything always goes right back to what it is. And that person who constantly is only needing money or using money to pay their own bills and, and to, to solve their own particular needs, that, that person, that's what I'm talking about, not you, somebody else. And, and, and as time goes on, um, they take all, all of their efforts, all of their maneuvers just to take care of their particular problem. They start seeing people as solutions to what they're going through. They start seeing God as a means to an end instead of the savior of their soul and your relation their relationship with him and others becomes what can they or you do for them they start seeing everything through the lens of how can this help me ever get around people like that i know i'm not talking about any of us there's just people like that right and the truth of the matter is we all can get to that place multiple times in our lives unless we check ourselves unless we realign ourselves with the value of scripture. And, and, and what happens is this, that you get into this place where it's all about you, it's all about your problem, it's all about what you're going through. Like, I've learned a long time ago that everybody has their share of problems. Everybody. There's not a person who is not exempt from their share of problems. And a lot of times we think that what we go through is, is the worst thing in the world. And then we meet somebody else that's going through something worse. And then they're going to meet somebody else that's even gone through something worse than that. And so on and so In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. In other words, I've given you a system by which you can rise above what you're going through. And so we get caught up in this space where we become and our issues become the center of our own universe. And Gideon is in this space where he is like just trying to figure it out for him and his. He's the center. He's hiding. And matter of fact, when God speaks to him in verse 15, he says, Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. In other words, Gideon 
He's trying to solve his own problems. Everything revolves around what he's going through. And how many of you know when you cannot solve your own problems and when your own problems last for extended periods of time, they are in this period of time for seven years, eventually the enemy will start talking to you and the enemy will start attacking your self-esteem. He'll start saying things like, oh, look at you. Can't even hold down a job. You're worthless. You're a loser. Look at you, can't even pay your bills. You're not a good provider. Look at you, look at your marriage. Look, you're, you're a terrible spouse. You're, you're, your spouse made a mistake by marriage. Look at you, your, your kids start making mistakes and bad choices. The enemy come in and say, you're a terrible parent. Look at you, you look, you can't do anything right. You know, all, and all of a sudden the enemy comes in and the enemy because when we focus on just fixing our lives, when everything becomes about us, 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 we soon realize that we can't really fix our own lives all by ourselves. And the enemy uses that as an open door to just begin to attack our self-esteem. And matter of fact, God sees that too. And so when God calls Gideon, he knows that he, he doesn't feel very powerful. He doesn't feel very capable. He doesn't feel like a good provider. He doesn't feel like a man anymore. And the Lord speaks to him and he says, he says, hey, mighty man of valor, I've called you to lead Israel out from captivity. He doesn't even see himself like that. And I want to talk to somebody right now. You don't even see yourself in a positive light because you're dealing with your struggles all the time. And the enemy has tricked you into a selfless life. It's not selfless like you want all good stuff for you, but it's selfless in that you consume your life. It's all about you. And the enemy has now come at you, and he's, he's speaking to you, and maybe you're depressed. And God told me to remind you that you are a child of God. You're still an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ, that when God looks at you, he still sees somebody who's able to overcome. He still sees somebody who's got victory on the inside of him. He still sees the prize at the bottom of the crackerjack box of your life. God still sees greatness on the inside of you. But here's what God is asking. He's asking you to make one step of faith. And the step of faith is to sign up for the selfless life. Because that's the life that you and I have been called to, the selfless life. Here's the thing you'll know about the selfless life, though. Number three on your outline, it's a struggle. The selfless life is not something that you just kind of decide one time, okay, I'm not going to be selfless. I'm not going to be selfish. God, I'm going to put you first in everything. And then all of a sudden, from that day forward, it's like God is first. You know what happens is you make that decision and life happens. And then you get pulled back into putting you first. And then you get some type of experience with God and God corrects you and straightens you out and you put God first. And then you go back to life and life puts you first again. And, and it's this constant battle, this constant struggle. And we see this in the life of Gideon. The first assignment that God gives to Gideon is to tear down all of the altars of Baal that are in, in that city, in the city of Oprah. And, and so Gideon's like, well, God, you know, I really would like to, but I don't know if this is going to work out too good for me. Because God, if I go tear down all the, the, the altars to Baal, they're going to kill me. And, and so the question that Gideon is struggling with on the inside of him, ready? Because this question should sound familiar. Is God, I want to obey you, but if I do, How's this going to affect me? Come on, let's just be real. That's the mind calculation that goes on every time God asks us to do something that is not convenient. 
The calculation is, if you really, God, I would really like to. If I won the 1.6 billion that I would give, because now it wouldn't be too difficult for me to give. But, but God, how's this going to work out for me? That's really the question that, that gets calculated in our hearts. So Gideon is like, God, you know, I don't like the prophets of Baal, you know, being worshipped more than you. And God, I hate to see everywhere I look, there are all these, you know, altars to Baal. I'd like to, but, but how's this going to work out for me? And so he muscles up the energy to try to obey God. Watch this. So Gideon took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. What happened? He, he kind of obeyed God clandestinely, right? He, he, he's just kind of calculating, okay, I can do it this way, and if I do it this way, it won't affect me the way that I really think it's going to affect me. Because if I do it in the broad daylight, they're going to kill me on the spot. But if I sneak in and do it when nobody is looking, I can get away with it. And everybody be wondering, who did this? And I'll be like, I have no idea who it was. And here's what happens. Gideon's worst fears come true after he obeys God. The prophets of Baal and all the worshipers of Baal, they show up at his pop's house. And they're like, we know it was your son who did this. We know it's going to get him out here. We're going to kill him right now in the street. And you know what's amazing to me about this? He does what God does, and instead of life getting better, life gets worse. Who told you if you obey God, it's automatically going to get fixed? Somebody lied to you when they told you that. They want to, see, here's, here's what happens is, is that when we obey God, there's usually a space between the promise coming to pass and the act of obedience. And the space is the proving ground of the heart to make sure that you really were doing it because God's interests were more important than your interests. And so you'll step out and do something and it won't get better, it'll get worse. And it'll be time to do that again. And you'll be like, well, I tried. But you know, God, it didn't work out for me. And God is like, did I, did I, did I say that this is all about you? Did, did you miss something along the way that you were created for my pleasure? Who told you that this is all about how it's going to work out for you? See, we need to change our motivation. And when we change our motivation, when God is first, all of a sudden stuff does work out for us because you can never give more to God than God won't give back to your life in any capacity. And so here they're at his pop's house. They're, they're ringing the bell. They're, they're knocking on the door. They're like, we want Gideon out here right now. And God gives Gideon's pop some supernatural wisdom right there on the spot. And he goes, y'all are going to kill Gideon on behalf of Baal? Can't Baal kill him himself? If Baal is so big and bad, if he is BDB, Big Daddy Baal, if he is so big and he is so bad, then why can't he kill Gideon all by himself? Is, is he really the God that we all think he is? And they're like, you're right, man. That's right. Baal's going to get him. Baal's going to strike him dead all by himself. Wait till Gideon goes to bed. He ain't going to wake up in the morning. Baal is going to kill him. Kill him out in public somewhere. He's going to get hit by a car. Baal, Baal is going to get him. And you know what? Baal doesn't get him. You know why? 
Because when you put God's interest first, can't touch this. When, when you put God's interest first, God works it out for you. My favorite scripture in all the Bible is Romans 8, 28. And we know that God works all things together for the good, for those that love God and are called according to his purpose, not for every Christian. For those that love God and are called, they wanted you to see how beautiful I really was today. Put the lights on low. Just one quick peek and now they go back down again. (laughs) You got to say something when stuff like that happens. Otherwise, everybody's thinking, look at what just happened to the lights. Okay, let's forget about the lights for just a second. Come on back to reality, right? God doesn't promise to work it out for everybody. God promises to work it out for those that love him and are called according to his purpose, whose interest, who put his interest above their interest. And so Gideon is battling with the selfless life. And so finally, you know, God shows him that he, he protects him. By the way, they changed Gideon's name at this point to Jerobel, which means contender with Baal. This, this guy is contending with Baal. And all of a sudden fear came upon everybody because Baal couldn't kill Gideon. And so now everybody's thinking, this is a bad man right here. This is a man who at 47 could throw the football as far as me. I mean, this is a bad man right here. He, you know, shout out to Pastor Brennan. And so now God says, all right, now this is all about us starting an army so that you can lead my kids out from Midianite bondage. And so he says, okay, now go do that. And Gideon goes, well, wait a second, God. Thanks for protecting me from Baal, but an army... The whole army thing. If I call for the army, they're going to come right after me. God, how's this going to work out for me? Have you ever noticed that mine gets in the way of the divine? Have you ever noticed that, that, that struggle between the two, between mine and the divine? And so here's what Gideon does, famous portion of Gideon's story. Gideon goes before the Lord, Judges chapter 6, verse 36. So Gideon said to God, if you save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, If you're going to do this, he said, I'll put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. And if there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so when he rose early the next morning that he squeezed the fleece together and he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said, don't be angry with me, but let me speak just one more time. Let me test, I pray, just one more with the fleece. Let it now be dry on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Notice what he's doing. He's struggling. God, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to put your interest first, but how's this going to work out for me? Now, I thought about if I was God, you better be glad I'm not God. Because I'd be like, have you lost your cotton picking mind? Did you, re- did you realize I just saved your rear end from getting whooped down by Baal in the public square? And now you're going to come to me as though maybe I'm promising you something that might happen and say, well, God, can, can you wet a blanket for me? I'm going to make you wet your blanket in the night. Just do what I ask you to do. Right? And here's what I love about God is that God doesn't get angry with him. God works with him. Is this, is this so cool? God understands how difficult it is to live a selfless life. He understands how challenged we are by mind. 
He understands the pull of me. And so what God does is God works with us. To, a little of us dies, and then a little more of us dies, and then a little more of us dies. And, 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 and over time, our life is not our own, but it, we realize that it's been bought with a price. And, and so we, we begin to become more and more like Jesus and more and more selfless. And, and the way God does this is he doesn't do, do it through fleeces. He does it through the Holy Spirit, which is our life coach. And every step of the way, the Holy Spirit is, is prodding us to be people who are more and more selfless. And so finally Gideon is like convinced. He's like, all right, now I'll call for the army. And so he calls for the army and 32,000 men join the army. And it's like, all right, Gideon's got all these people who, who were scared kind of on his side now. And he's like, all right, we're going to go out and fight. And God's like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. And Gideon's like, what's up, God? 32,000 of us, 120,000 of them. God, we're outnumbered four to one, but I think we can plan around that. God, I think we can plan around how, how to outmaneuver them. I, I know that my, my paycheck isn't as low right now, as high right now as I want it to be, but I think I can plan my way around this, God. I, I, think, I, can, I think I can make it all work a little bit. So you know what God says? I know you think you can make it work a little bit right now because four to one, people put bets on four to one, hoping that they hit because if they hit on four to one, they just quadrupled their money. He's like, you know what? Too many people for me to give you this victory. You got too much security for me to step into your life. You got too much fallback for me to step into your life. You got too many other things you can call on right now to deliver you from this situation. Cut it down. He said, what, what do you mean, God? He said, tell everybody who's afraid to leave. Gideon said, if you're scared, you don't have to go into this fight. 22,000 of them leave. You know why most people never fulfill the will of God for their life? They're afraid. And here's what they're afraid of. They're afraid of what they might lose. You know what I found out? If you're going to fulfill the will of God for your life, sometimes you've got to swing for the fences. can't swing for the fences all the time, otherwise you'll have a zero batting average. Sometimes you just got to take, take the pitch. Pastor Brandon, don't know nothing about this. Take the pitch <laughs> to the opposite side of the field. But sometimes got to swing for the fences. Sometimes you got to take a shot. And so he's like, whittle it down. 22,000 leave. He's got 10,000. Now they're out, man, 12 to 1. I mean, just seriously, I know y'all don't bet on nothing like that, right? But like, if you're going to go make a bet, right, you don't want to bet on something that's one-to-one, do you? You got to make, you're just getting your money back. If you're going to make a bet, you get a little money back. You know, anybody ever go to the horse track? Anybody ever do that? Before you were saved. You know what I'm talking about? Talking about when you were saved, nothing like that. Before you were saved. And, and you, go, you go look for that 12 to 1 where you can collect, right? And God's like, I know you would, you'd think you might be able to pull this off at 12 to 1. He said, cut it down more. And this is where our text comes in. This is really what I wanted to get to. He says, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water. I will test them there for you. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lap, putting their head to the, uh, hand to their mouth was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on both knees and drank the water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Number four in your outline, the selfless life is the life that God uses. Here's the final cut. The final cut is between those who get down on both knees and bury their head in the water and... (laughs) 
drink as much as they can. That's one group of people. And the other group of people is people just get down on one knee, scooping. This is how God makes the cut. And, and what, what's amazing to me is that God levels the playing field because both groups of people are all tired. Both groups of soldiers are homesick. Both groups of soldiers are deprived of sleep, deprived of food. Both groups of soldiers have sand in their mouth. Both groups of soldiers have parched lips, have chapped lips. Both groups of soldiers want to get a drink. Gideon says, guys, listen, I know y'all been working hard. Let's take time out here. Let's go down to the watering hole. Let's go down to the river and let's get a drink. And 9,700 of them drop their weapons, run down to the river, get on both knees and (laughs) stick their head in the water and drink. But there's 300, and I don't believe they run. I believe these 300, they, they walked down to the river slowly. As they were walking, they were looking. Y'all thought I was going to walk off that, but I'm too athletically (laughs) agile for that. Walking and looking. I don't believe they all drank those 300 at the same time. I believe they said, okay, you guys go and we'll we'll keep a watch. Okay, you guys are done. Let me go. You guys watch. I believe they, during the time when their need was the thing that they could satisfy One group buried their head in their need. The other group got what they needed but never lost sight of what they were called to do. And here is what God is saying to us. God is saying in in, in the moment of thirst, in a moment of want, in a moment of need, some people will look out for self and be consumed at what they need and lose sight of what God has asked them to do. Some people will bury their head in their problems and bury their head in the water and lose sight that they are soldiers in God's army. Let me make it real. Some people will bury their head in their business and compromise their integrity to get a deal and lose sight of the fact that they are soldiers in God's army. Some people will bury their head in their bills and lose sight of the fact that God is supposed to come first in their finances. Some people will bury their head in their family, in their relationship, in their addiction and forget that they represent God. And what God is saying, don't bury your head in it. God looked at the 9,700 who buried their head. He said, I can't use them. He said, tell them to go back. I can't get a victory with these kind of people. He said, I can't show my power through these kind of people. I can't win with these kind of people. I can't do exploits through these kind of people. What I could do is I could just have them go from one mundane thing in life to the next mundane thing in life. But I want to take people to a new level. I want to take people to a place where my glory can be shown through them, where my power can be shown through them, where I can do things that will touch the lives of other people through them. And the kinds of people that I can use are selfless people. Are you lapping? Or are you looking and lapping? It's okay for you to take care of your personal needs. God wants all your needs to be met according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What all God is saying is, is when you're lapping, be looking. When you're lapping, 
Have your eyes out for what God has asked you to do as a child of God first. Here's what God is saying. This is us. This is who we are as Christians. Our life is not our own. We have been bought with a price. The life that we live, we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and set us free. This is us. We are not selfish. We are not self-centered. We are not me first. We don't seek our own. We glorify God in our body and in our spirits which belong to him. We glorify God in the way we live, the way we love, the way we serve, the way we walk, the way we talk, not just when people are looking, but when nobody's looking, not just in church on Sunday, but all throughout the week. This is us. We are selfless as Christians. We don't get all we can, not worried about leaving anything for anybody else. We are people who, yes, We can be blessed, but in the process of being blessed, we realize we're blessed so that we can promote God's interests. Let me give you a couple of quick little things here. For the selfless, number five, God will do more with less. Gideon's got 300. They got 120,000. Gideon's like, God, I don't even know, have no weapons. He said, all I got is some pitchers, some torches, and some trumpets. Do you know what God says? He says, he said, I want you to charge in the middle of the night with your pitchers, your torches, and your trumpets. I want you to blow your trumpets. I want to throw your pitchers down. He said, and, and, and I'm going to explode the light and the sound. And when they did, God amplified the sound from the torches, the pitchers, and the trumpets, and the Midianites thought that the Israelite army was vast, and they turned on themselves. What did God do? God did more with less. God amplified the sound from the little that they had, because it came from the heart of the selfless. What is God saying to somebody right now? Somebody who the odds are stacked against. Somebody who's got more month than they do money. Somebody who's got a bigger hospital report than you can, than you know what to do with. Somebody who's living a lonely life right now, somebody who feels all by themselves, somebody who's a single parent that's got to be mom and dad, that's got to be provider and nurturer, somebody who's got the odds stacked against them. Here's what God is saying, for the selfless, I can do more with less. I just need you to step into the selfless life. And then the last thing I want to share with you this morning is that number six, for the selfless, God will use your enemies to bless you. Gideon didn't run right down there even after God saved his rear end from Baal. Even after God wet the blanket and then didn't wet the blanket. Gideon still didn't go right down when God said go. You know what he said? He said, God, before I go down there with pitchers, trumpets, and torches. Oh, my. He said, before I do that, how's this going to work out for me? So you need to you need to show me God. He was still struggling with the whole stuff. And God said, all right, all right, all right. He said, I want you to sneak down in the middle of the night. I want you to listen to what they're saying in the camp. So Gideon sneaks down. You'll find this in Judges chapter 7, I believe, verse 13, 14, somewhere around there, 14, 15. Sneaks down in the camp with his buddy. And they listen. And this one guy said, you won't believe the dream I had last night. The guy said, do tell. So it was the strangest dream. Last night I had the strangest dream. I sailed away to China. In the middle of the night to find out. I all know that dream. <laughs> um, I had the strangest dream. He said, this cupcake rolled into my tent. And the cupcake exploded. 
took out the tent. I couldn't put the tent back together again. And the guy goes, that wasn't no cupcake. That was Gideon. And God's hand is on him. And just like Baal couldn't take him out, we're not going to be able to take him out because God is with him. What is God saying? Gideon was afraid. Gideon didn't think he could. Gideon th- thought his enemy was stronger. Than- you know what God did? God used his enemy to inform him of just who he was. And God wants to do the same thing for those who live the selfless life. Listen, your enemy wouldn't be jealous against you unless there was something to be jealous of. You wouldn't have the struggle that you had in life unless there was a great plan behind your life. Your enemy wouldn't be fighting you unless God had something for you. And God wants to use your enemy to let you know exactly who you are in Christ. Whenever you see an enemy, start looking for your blessing. Why? Because my Bible tells me, Psalm 23, verse 5, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemy. So anytime an enemy shows up, you ought to just start looking. Where the blessing at? Where the blessing at? Where the blessing at? Why? Because God's got something for you. The selfless life. God's called us to be Christians. It's not a consumer religion. Don't don't buy it. Don't let America colonize your Christianity. Because it will strip it of its core values. It'll strip it of its essence. It'll it'll make you think, what's the point? God is saying, there's a point. It's to give your life away. To put my interest above your interest at all costs. Under every circumstances, there is never a time, there's never a situation as difficult and as hard as it may be that qualifies you or exempts you from putting God's interest above your own. Would you stand on your feet?